California right now. Here it is. Okay. Well, it's actually raining. Yeah. Quite a bit, which is, you know, an important thing. And also we're so spoiled here in Southern California in particular <laughs> that we get a little bit of rain. Yeah. And everybody goes inside and hides from the world <laughs> until it stops. And here it is. Yeah. And um, it's sort of this oh my God, don't go outside. It's raining. Like it's <laughs> only go out for what you absolutely need. Otherwise stay indoors. I mean, it's oh, that's great. funny. It's, we're that's just so funny. spoiled. It's ridiculous. Cause even in Florida, right. Which is another very warm state. It rains, but it rains all the time. Mm-hmm. They're, they're tropical. I mean, so we've got this sort of beautiful, sunny weather most of the year. And it only rains if it's, you know, kind of the winter-ish months. We don't really have seasons really down here anyway. It's pretty temperate all year long. So for us, rain is like a huge, you know, stop the presses, it's raining kind of thing versus somewhere mm-hmm. else that has beautiful sun, you know, warm weather, but it rains It's a tropical place, so they're used to it. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. we get especially uh, childish when this, when this happens and we all whine and it's fine. <laughs> It felt like that in Texas too. Oh, where, that's where yeah. I'm from. Oh, yeah. 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 But up here in the Pacific Northwest, if you, if you couldn't tolerate rain, you would never get outside. Yeah. And yeah. What brought, what brought you out to, to the Pacific Northwest from Texas? Law school. I, I was oh, looking at law schools wow. and I, I looked at a couple, I applied to Seattle U and that's that I was also just looking for a change to, you know, yes. change of um, a cultural climate change of actual yeah. climate the yeah. heat was so much for me I mean I grew up in oh, like bad. terrible heat and I just wanted a break so yeah yeah but yeah yeah interesting I know I'll have a story yeah I know <laughs> so speaking of stories um I uh where we were talking last week and you you're kind of weaving together we I felt like we just got kind of the bones of of what was yes. going on and so you had this career you you really found yourself enjoying grief counseling or teaching teaching grief and loss to to counseling students and you found like that not only did you have an a a real affinity for the subject matter but also you learned that you loved the process of teaching yes and around this time you're just sort of getting your stride you're getting um uh, you, you get these opportunities that you didn't think you were even going to get. Like you said, you were a master's level, uh, professor yeah. and you got this professorship that you, that was a wonderful opportunity. And then you started to notice things in the, the, the social atmosphere. Yes. Sort of from the students and from faculty yes. and yes. it went from there. And And so we were talking about how you, you ended up having to take a medical leave and just yes. decided that you were going to resign. Yes. And yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear more about, about all of that. And yeah, what it's been like. so I did, I, I, so I took the, the medical leave and it was coming after the worst quarter I had had there. So that was the quarter where even in my grief classes, you know, the ranking of pain and of who's, who's suffering was worse than somebody else's you know, um, the issues that happened when I was teaching that addiction course and Mm -hmm. people were more concerned with the color of skin of the person Mm -hmm. who was giving this Ted talk. 
and the population that she was trying to protect and save more so than the model, which was completely, you know, and the model was, the model really was about the holistic way of treating addiction and of treating people such that, you know, they're not looked at as, you know, disgusting and, and, you know, put into, you know, you loser drug addict kind of a thing, but how to, how do we kind of elevate these people back to a status where we see them as human mm -hmm. first mm -hmm. and that they have this really severe, you know, you can call it whatever you want, condition, illness, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people label it, you know, considering what side of the field you're on, but the consensus is that there's a mental health component. That's the one consensus, mm -hmm. you know, that that does exist. And so, here we are having somebody talking about how to do this. I mean, one of the first, you know, changes in how we thought about addiction was from Gabor Mate, and you may have heard mm -hmm, of him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the main book that we would use for the textbook for that class was In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And that's the one kind of breakout book, the first he had that talked about addiction being not an, an, a condition or, he, you know, he kind of talked about it being the absence of gosh, I can remember his words, addiction is the absence of connection. Mm -hmm. um, and people who are, you know, non-addicted or what we really need to flourish in the world is connection and, um, you know, connection with ourselves, but really with other people, relationships and addiction is an absence of that. And that gaping hole is what people, you know, kind of continue to feed. So these are novel concepts that are taking this sort of, you know, the, the, the loser druggy Mm -hmm. idea out mm -hmm. of the picture mm -hmm. and adding in compassion for what somebody is missing what part of them is not being fulfilled and what that gaping hole is mm -hmm. and really when we start bringing connection you know with other people and with oneself in the picture people get better so mm -hmm. the reason I'm kind of straying off on that is just to kind of paint this picture that even in conservative places that aren't as you know, forward thinking as California or, you know, any other, you know, Chicago, any other really kind of, you know, bluish, I guess, city or, or something like that. We're seeing that happen in conservative places that are poverty stricken, where they're talking about, let's look at addiction differently. Mm -hmm. Let's not look at this as something that is about somebody who's just a loser, but rather something's happening for them on an, a medical level, emotional cognitive level there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle it's like so a having, humanizing of it completely mm -hmm. completely and that's kind of what the, the idea was what mate was doing I mean, if you have ever heard any of his videos he's just boring as can be i'm not going to deny it because he has very monotone <laughs> but his material his messaging and what he writes are really transformative in that in that you know field in that you know area of study so having said all that, when you kind of see that starting to happen in other places, like again, West Virginia, this very poor state where they don't have a lot of savvy, right? Uh, psychological savvy, if you mm -hmm, will, mm -hmm, and sophistication, okay. yeah. you know, so for them to come out and say, hey, we have this new way of looking at this and this is saving lives. So again, that was the whole issue is that those students didn't look at that bigger picture and say, okay, well, here we are now in tandem trying to treat addiction in a humane fashion without calling these people these names, et cetera. And here are other places are starting to do the same thing. Let's listen and learn from each other. It became a very, that person's white and they're trying to save white people mm. rather than say, hey, you know, which is the point I was making. This is something we've never tried before and mm. it's working. You know, they mm. came up with mm. sort of these response teams and, you know, it, it 
it ended up to where they were able to reduce, you know, overdoses by a significant amount and actually get people into treatment mm -hmm. after they recovered from the overdose. And that was sort of an unheard of task. I mean, most of the time, especially in places like that, not necessarily mm -hmm. other places, but even here, I mean, if statistically speaking, you have maybe only 5% that will remain sober, you know, over the course of their lives. I mean, 95% of people eventually die from something that's related to the addiction. Mm. And that's after having gone through seven or eight or nine stints in rehab. It is extremely difficult to treat, extremely difficult mm -hmm, to treat. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother class. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. what I, one of the courses I taught, I know quite a bit about that area. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, I was excited to bring this in. And when the students just berated it without mm -hmm. listening to what a different way could be that we could use here. The whole point is that you adapt it to your community, you adapt mm -hmm. it to mm -hmm. your environment where you live, where you see that certain types of interventions might be more effective than others. You didn't craft it, right? And that's again what psychology and treatment plans are supposed to be about is crafting, you know, really tailoring treatment to that mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. without this blanket view or this overall kind of, you know, umbrella. Um, and so uh, coming off of that, that also that quarter of teaching, when I was teaching that course, I had extremely strong pushback. And again, I had okay. pushback before, but you mean from the that students? one quarter from the students. Okay. So that one quarter, you know, just kind of everything compiled onto each other. And and what year was that? Was that 2020? 2021. Oh, 2021. Okay. So you're, you're bringing this, the, you bring this TED talk and you bring this topic up. And it's yes. this, this complex issue addiction, yes. which as yes. counselors, these students are going to be facing over and over. And here's a way for us to look at it that is maybe novel or um, or just something that can help you to expand your your awareness around the things that the people that you're going to work with are going to deal with. Yes. And, yes. and you had, was it one student or a number of students that just completely shut down and were not able to even engage with the material because of the presenter being a white person and they, they were stopping at at that. It was like judge a book by its cover. We're not even going to yes. open this book. Wrong color. Yes. Was it go. just it, a student or was it a group no. of students? It was about four. Okay. It was about four, maybe five okay. out of a class of 22, I think I had. Yeah. Um, that's when it became a little problematic. I mean, I've always, you've, you know, you always run into one or two students in any course or whatever that might push back with something. And I can handle that. I have pretty, you know, I'm pretty confident in what I know, but I'm also humble enough to say when I don't know, you know, if I don't know something, something ask, ask the question in class, and I'm not sure my answer, maybe I'm not sure, or I don't know. Yeah, Good question. Yeah. Let's look at this together. I never walked in there as the be all end all, but that's one thing. And it's completely, but it's something totally different. Not, not when you say, oh, gee, I don't know, or I don't agree. That's one thing. But mm -hmm. over here, the problem is there, you're not even willing to be open-minded enough to listen. So I can try to make a case for this. Mm -hmm. And when you had one or two students here and there, it wasn't a big deal, but now there start, there's starting to be three and four and five students mm -hmm. that are all pushing back that are agreeing and kind of, you know, fueling that, that, that conversation, you know, you almost wonder if it was in person, would they have had the guts to do that? Was mm -hmm. it because we were on Zoom oh, yeah, at that time, yeah. you know, behind the screen that they have the yeah. guts to write stuff in the chat, they have the guts to say out loud, well, Clearly this woman, you know, doesn't care about what happened to black people in the eighties. And clearly they only care about saving white people mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. this West Virginia, which is like 90 something percent white population. So 
the, 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 the it was all just lost on them altogether. Mm-hmm. So that was happening at the same time that this other ranking of, of, of pain was happening in my grief class. And I guess it was, I, I ended that quarter very upset and I ended that quarter just dreading going back. I had to make this kind of case and say, listen, we're not talking about what color of skin this person is. We're talking about addiction. The fact mm-hmm. that it's killing people, even though well, no one cares because the op- opioid crisis is really about white people being killed. It's like, no, there have been opioid, you know, products or what, uh, heroin's an opioid. I mean, that's been killing people for however, I mean, they've been smoking opium for however long they've, mm-hmm. so I'm not, I'm not a historian. I can't speak on that, but yeah. I definitely know this isn't the only time in our history of drug, you know, issues that we've had to deal with this. Um, and so they kind of broke it off into these camps and meth is you know a very common drug also in uh lower income poverty stricken areas where there's mostly white people as well you Mm -hmm. know where it's cooked and it's made i mean that's you know crack you know has more of a connection to the black community that's that's that may be the case meth has more of a connection to the white community and i mean there are plenty of people there you know losing teeth living on the streets, poverty, I mean, it just, it's all, it, it's so, to, to attach race, gender, anything to this issue completely negates the humane part of it, which is mm-hmm. what you said at the beginning is that we're looking at people as human beings, there's a humanity component that's brought into it. Right. And all of those other things kind of, kind of water down what the real issue is. It doesn't matter whether it's meth or, or alcohol, which alcohol is the leading, addict you know addictive substance mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. quite from, above everything else easiest access cheapest all of those things and most socially acceptable so it's harder to uh, judge obviously mm-hmm. you know anyway so having said all that I was just struggling a lot by that point mm-hmm. um what did that really what was that to, like for you to 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 be confronted with that I mean what what did that First of all, I wanted to ask you about the dynamic in the class, but it's probably harder to really get a sense of that when you're on Zoom. It's not the same as standing in front of a group of people where you can you can really look at everybody's expressions and watch their body language and stuff. So it's very different when you're trying to view a Zoom screen. But what was your sense of? Um, and I, I I'll I'll say just for context, I when I was. I, I wonder what it was like in the classes that I was in. I had sort of a sense of people being silent and then talking to me outside of class, saying mm. that they would agree with points that I had made when I, when I would push back on certain things, I would get emails or I'd get somebody stopping me in the hall and thanking me. And my, my feeling was kind of like, well, why didn't you say anything to indicate that you supported what I was trying to, the point I was trying yes. to, the silence was deafening in there. And I felt very Yes. Um, em- embarrassed. And it was very hard to speak up alone. But yes, in this situation, it's kind of the reverse where you're having people who are speaking up and trying to push more of the ideology into infuse the teaching with it or push back against yes. where they're not seeing it. Did you have anybody bring up a balanced view? Were people just completely silent? What was that like? And what was it like for you? Um, those those four, so those four or five people, I would say, uh, so normally, you know, I, the video ends and then 
I don't remember this time. Sometimes I do small breakout rooms so people can talk amongst themselves and then come back to the bigger room. But in this case, I we didn't have time, I think, to do that. So I just did a general debrief. Mm -hmm. And the people that were the, the most vocal about being upset and turned off by this, they they did not necessarily have the rest of the class jumping on board, but they were the ones that were controlling the conversation and they were mm. controlling the narrative. Mm. So anybody that had a differing point of view was silent. Mm. So okay. I had to make the classroom safe. And I really kind of hate that word now because of yeah. what that word has turned into. I just, can't, I just, I hate it, but whatever. Yeah. In this case, I'm going to have to, you know, use mm -hmm. it, but I had to make it an okay place for the other people to jump in and to have a different differing point of view. Like I had to stand up for those people in a way for the mm -hmm. quiet ones or the ones that I could see didn't agree. They didn't know what they could say or should say. And it was not comfortable for them. Um, where if you have a classroom setting, it, it, it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, the classroom setting would have allowed the people who disagreed with that one group of you know antagonists, we'll call mm -hmm. them, they, it would have created more of an atmosphere where if my presence was physically there, they were physically next to other students that maybe didn't agree with them, that they would maybe be a little bit more comfortable to say something. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, those antagonists may have not been that direct and that yeah, antagonistic yeah. in person. Yeah. So those two things were sort of occurring. Of yes. Yeah. So it's almost like, okay, well, this is where I really was able to see what this one kind of core group, but it's sort of this, this, Kind of example, I guess, a, a, a microcosm of what's been happening, you know, across the board at Antioch and in general with this, where it's this group of four or five, this twenty mm percent -hmm. that are controlling the narrative and the space and the story for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So they were very quiet, and I felt I had to defend these other people and say, "Look, this isn't the point. The point is not about going back mm -hmm. to the crack epidemic." So I felt myself anxious and my voice and, 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 you know, speaking was just getting very strong and elevated. Mm -hmm. And really mm -hmm. I was anxious. I was angry. I wanted to flunk the students. I'm not yeah. going to lie. I wanted to not pass them yeah. because it started to become to where I, you know, as, as the professor of these, of these classes, we have to kind of we're trying to regulate the emotional environment in there. We're trying to keep our feet planted into the ground. Mm -hmm. We're trying to keep an open mind at the same time. We're trying to see if there's something we've missed or what more we could bring in to enrich this conversation. Sometimes you're just gonna have that one class, that one day to, to, to say this one really important thing and you wanna make sure that you get it out. They may not hear it from mm -hmm. you know, somebody else down the line. You know, There's just those, for me, my experience of being a professor was like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, having to kind of manage all the various things that are happening in the classroom and being sort of the absorber, the shock absorber, if you will, that's okay. It's one thing, it's what you sign up for. But when it becomes to where you're being kind of attacked directly, mm -hmm. then it's where well, I'm a human, as is any human. You mm -hmm. want to either A, for me, either retreat and not say anything or fight back and sound defensive. Mm -hmm rather than approaching it from a, okay, this is great. This is a, you know, this is, this is a challenge, you know, challenging mm -hmm. subject. Let's talk about it further. You know, so mm -hmm. I had a really hard time with trying to regulate myself and, mm -hmm. and be, you know, even healed, but, but also creating space for this other. So I felt like I had to protect myself and I had to protect 
other people who wanted to say something, whether they agreed or didn't, I wanted them to have a chance to speak. Well, and it's such an odd experience, I would think, as a professor to have that kind of crosstalk happening, yes. like you get in Zoom, like they're actually talking about yes. you or about the topic, yes. which yes. you would never hear if you were in a lecture class. Yes. You would just, that, that's, that level of unprofessional behavior wouldn't happen yes. with adult learners in a no. college setting or, or graduate setting here. Yes. And so they're acting like children and, and chattering back and forth. And like, she's, she doesn't yes. care about this. And uh, yes. what, an, what an odd thing to be presented with. Yes, it was odd. Uh, and it was unusual because I was used to, you know, being well-liked or at least people respecting me. Maybe if they mm -hmm. didn't agree, they respected me. And I mm -hmm. felt, I guess, a total lack of respect. And that was, I think, really hard. There was a lack of respect for myself and for the, uh, their their colleagues who were in the class that mm -hmm. maybe wanted to say something or wanted to learn something. Mm -hmm. um, and addiction is a hard topic in general because the numbers are really low in terms of people that successfully make it through treatment. And treatment is highly effective. It's just, anyway, there's a lot of factors as to why people don't complete the treatment. Mm -hmm. And so you're already dealing with this tough topic where there's not a lot of, you're trying to find glimmers of hope. Okay, you're mm -hmm. trying to find well, then why bother? Why do we bother if it's this bad? So that is already a feat because if you look at the actual numbers, there's research and science-based numbers on who makes it through sobriety, who doesn't, why are the, the, the sobriety rates, why is it so hard to maintain a clean and sober life, et cetera. You're already dealing with a topic like that. So when you bring this glimmer of hope and you're trying to bring things into the conversation and then that gets shut down, that's for me personally, what was really difficult is that I'm trying to add some hope into a topic that's hard to teach because it feels so hopeless yeah. that people are going to make it. And mostly everybody in the class typically has a friend or a family member or somebody they've known that has had some addiction issues. So mm -hmm. it's something that people have a real strong personal connection to no matter, you know, whether they themselves ever suffered from addiction or not, they yeah. have a close it's they've been they've brushed upon it at some point and so there's already that piece that's going to make it kind of sensitive so when you're adding all that in I felt at that point as though I shut down the conversation altogether and completely just we need to revisit this the following week and why doesn't everybody kind of sit and, and think about what's come up for you and I think we had two more classes left at that point mm -hmm. but for me it was okay, now I'm getting angry and resent, like resenting my class, my, my class, my students mm -hmm. for creating this environment in my classroom where I'm working so hard, you know, to find some interesting things and ways to present this material. So I didn't feel like myself. I felt angry. Mm -hmm. I felt resentful. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, who, you know, just who are you to, 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 to make those, why are those people's lives less important? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I don't agree with, the entire way the model was presented because it needs some tweaking in a bigger city, in an urban community, in an area that has different, you know, socioeconomic populations. I may not even work in a community where, uh, where it's a high so socioeconomic population. She was talking about the poverty areas, mm -hmm. of, you know, of West Virginia. So there was so much to consider. And at the same time, they were missing that entire boat. And I, I, I've never been in that position as a professor or as a yeah. teacher. I've had people disagree for sure. I've had people have, you know, different, you know, viewpoints, but to have them shut me down 
and in some way align me with the oppressor, with the white supremacist group. Um, I, I took a personal offense to it. I did feel like I was being attacked. And I also felt as though I had to protect and save these other students who are mm -hmm. also probably feeling attacked. Mm -hmm. So my ability to emotionally regulate the class as a professor turned personal. It wasn't just about creating, mm -hmm. you know, safe place for all of them. Then it made me unsafe. I mean, I felt uncomfortable and that I was being assaulted verbally. And then all the guy kept thinking is if they go to the administration, I'm going to hear about this. So I'm going to get an email that you could talk to. It, it seems like no. as, as a professor, if something like that were to happen in your course in, uh, I don't know, I want to call it normal circumstances, but just prior yes. to this, prior to all these things happening, you would have the back, you would, you'd have somebody that you could go to, like a yes. supervisor or something, the, the chair, and, and be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm having these issues in my class. These students are pretty hostile to the teaching. What do you, you have some guidance on how I, but, no. but this was the opposite. You felt like they were more aligned with this. Yes, this. they were more aligned. Okay. And I, and I did not feel I could trust my colleagues. I couldn't mm -hmm. trust my supervisor. I couldn't trust my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And because I couldn't trust them, I couldn't say exactly what was on my mind. I knew I was going to be swimming through this, you know, sort of, you know, abyss all by myself. I wasn't going to get that kind of backing, mm -hmm. not because maybe they didn't think that I was right, but because the student is always right. I mean, nine times out of 10, the student is right. The students who are paying, we're paying good money to be here. The school aligns the students in nine out of 10 cases. So it was really easy for you if you were a student there to go up the ranks and complain. And if you're complaining about the right thing, if you're complaining mm -hmm. that the class is, you know, geared toward the heteronormative, whatever, fill in the blank, mm -hmm. that you're more likely to win that case than mm -hmm. the opposite way than to say, hey, my teacher totally dismissed me because I'm white and I have, you know, something to say. They're going to say, why don't you sit and take a look at your own, your white privilege and go home and look at yourself in the mirror and write down all the ways in which, you know, so I didn't well, feel that, like yeah, I could... that's, that's what happened to me when I spoke out at my school. It was that same thing. There you go. Oh, yeah, Think... yeah. Well, at Antioch, you know, yes, we're both talking 100%. about percent. Yeah. Go look at yourself, mm -hmm. right? Because you're the one then with the problem mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you don't see it differently. So what a strange shift. I mean, I guess I, I, I keep coming back to this idea that you, you, you must have had these experiences in what do we even call it like pre uh, pre what is this pre ideology pre ideological takeover teaching in a yeah I, yes. I keep wanting to use the word normal but like in a typical what we would have expected yes there was a schema for what it yes. looks like to sit in a classroom in a graduate class or a college yes. class yes and this is this turns it all on its head. It's just completely distorted. Yes. So you lived through that shift. Yes. And, and you were on both sides of it. Yes. And I guess I, I, I'm really fascinated by that. And one thing I'm really fascinated by is it would be one thing if all of this, all of this were being pushed through the school, through, yes. the, through the curriculum or the faculty or, or whatever. But this is coming from both sides. And like you yes. said, it's a selection bias with bringing in students yes. that, that agree with these things already. Yes. But to have the students pushing the direction, it, it's, it's an orthodoxy and it's being pressed yes. on you from both ends. Yes. I guess I don't have a question about that as much as just I'm shocked by it, you know, and I'm curious yes. just to, on, about 
your experiences in relation to all that and how that must have shaken you as a, as a human being going through that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it shook me in so many ways. I think one, one of the things was that, you know, I, I was able to kind of keep my, this was happening, I think on a bigger scale, a much bigger scale than I realized for longer, you know, than what I realized because I had so much independence there. Mm -hmm. I had gone to school there as a student. So I kind of, you know, knew that the, the professors could kind of bring their own brand of themselves and their own brand of their own, you know, clinical orientation into the class. And, and that was uh, always, you know, welcomed because it was something new to be, to be learned. And I remember having that experience as a student where they all had said some different kinds of things. And I took pieces of what professors said in classes and incorporated them. And mm -hmm. some, you know, 25 years later, I can remember some of the things that some of the professors shared that were like a nuggets mm -hmm. that st stood with me throughout mm -hmm. my whole career. So that's what I was assuming that this was going to be for them too. They're going to hear lots of different perspectives and they will take some nuggets, maybe from me one day, maybe from somebody else, whatever, and go on. Mm -hmm. And that that was okay then to bring in a different, you know, conversation into the classroom. So it did shake me because this was happening before I really realized it was happening that this different, you know, shift in, I don't know, we'll, we'll call it the, I know it's such a cliche word now, actually, but in this kind of, you know, social justice minded lens, this, this was happening before I really realized it, I think. Mm -hmm. And what shook me was that by the time I realized it, it was very bad. Yeah. And it was 10 times worse than I thought it was. And I noticed myself, and I think I mentioned this the last time that we talked, that I ended up admitting people into the school. I didn't think we're going to be good for the field, but I did it because they answered the social justice question correctly on the interview mm -hmm. and the pressure that there was to make sure we had a certain amount of mm -hmm. men of color, certain amount of women of color. Mm -hmm. I had to push. I mean, I had a student that they wanted to accept who was living in another country. She didn't understand English at all, zero and he was using the school as a way to kind of enter the country. Oh, he didn't wow. have any understanding of, you know, psych just basic, basic principles of just even the English language, which, hmm. okay, that's fine, but our program is taught in English. So there's nothing I can do yeah. about that. Yeah. And she clearly stated, well, I want to attend this school. Whichever school is going to accept me in the United States, that's what's going to allow me to get there. So mm -hmm. whether it's you or someone else, and she said it directly in those words. And mm -hmm. I said, I we can't accept her, you know, so I kick it back and say, no, mm -hmm. this discussion goes around with the, you know, kind of the, 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 the core faculty. So the people on top of the program mm -hmm. about why is the student getting rejected? Why is the student not, you know, why aren't she, why isn't she being accepted? You know, she's an, I think an all cash pay, I want to say student. Mm -hmm. Why? And I, I had to say, listen, I get it about the diversity thing, but she can't even speak the language and she cannot understand. She's not choosing Antioch because it's Antioch. This is what you guys want, right? Mm -hmm. This conversation went round and round and round. And I said, I absolutely stand against it. It was the one time I took a stand to say no. Mm -hmm. And the conversation, that wasn't enough. I had to continue to put and that's kind of also what, what showed that they didn't care about mm -hmm. all of that. They just were willing to, to be able to say they had the student from Pakistan or whatever country she was coming from. Mm -hmm. And she didn't even have any. In, in, and when we asked her, are you willing to learn about you know these new things? She said, no, I, I'm coming and knowing how to be a counselor. Well, mm -hmm. that's not what Antioch wants or any school. Right. But the push, because she would meet the 
demographic. Yeah, she made a that they want diversity. Absolutely. And the fact that I was accepting students myself because they happen to have, you know, okay, there was a black man, I'm just going to say, who was, you know, had played a sport in the past mm-hmm. and didn't work out for him, decided to make a career change. And the interview with him was terrible, but he answered what they wanted to hear with the social justice thing. So I pushed mm-hmm. him through. Mm-hmm. And I did not, I had some sleepless nights over that going, okay, Christine, now you're, you're now, so, so for me to so vehemently hate this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be just be, be disgusted by mm-hmm. it for me to be able though, to be impacted mm-hmm. in a way that I ended up kind of aligning with mm-hmm. it out of, I don't know, just social pressure, pressure mm-hmm. at the school, the, the, the incoming messages and me drinking the Kool-Aid. I think I it used just, to choke down the Kool-Aid yeah, last yeah, time. Yeah, you did. That was bothersome. And that's what was happening to me. And it I think that's just how insidious it is. It is very insidious. Even you don't you, know you're mm-hmm. resisting it. And even in your resistance, you're still experiencing it. And, and in some ways forwarding it. Yes. Even though you don't, it. you don't want 100%. to. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize just how serious this yes. really is and what, how this is really going to remake yes. what we think of our, our society as. Yes. It's going to remake what we think of our, it's it, even a broader, it, because it is so much broader than just the world of, of mental health. I mean, you, you, you know, they talk about how did people just kind of accept, you know, the, 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 the sort of the commun- communism, Nazism, mm-hmm. you know, if you will. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not a historian, so I don't want to use big words I don't know, but you know, that whole concept, Yeah, you can start to see how that happens on the smaller level. I'm not comparing this to that, but what I'm saying is, is it's easy to get sucked in because little by little, if you get enough of that messaging, Mm -hmm. then you start to have people that you actually respect and admire, or maybe look up to as a mentor, giving you the messaging. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. you're starting to see people that are outside of all those groups that are giving you the messaging. Mm -hmm. You start to think and take in either, maybe I've missed something and I'm wrong, or I'm just going to repeat it back because it's the rhetoric and Mm -hmm. you repeat it enough times, you start to believe it. Yeah. And so there's this, this push and pull cognitive dissonance. And that final quarter of school is where that cognitive dissonance, you know, where I was mm-hmm. kind of fighting myself internally is when I decided I couldn't do it. And the big, the big crisis here for me, it's not about Antioch. It's the fact that I wasn't going to be able to teach anywhere ever again mm. in this entire state period. Mm. Yeah. Because all of the programs at this point, way more extensively than I knew had taken that in. So that was, I had to be willing to either a kind of align with the narrative a little bit and try where I could to push back. Mm -hmm. I had such debilitating levels of anxiety before class. I felt almost paralyzed. So I also had to deal with that kind of component of it Mm -hmm. or give up teaching altogether. And it's over. No, no, no program right now in psychology would ever accept me to return as a professor because I do not uh, align my courses with with those tenants. Yes. So that was throwing away, not just being a therapist, it was throwing away being a professor and a therapist, being a supervisor, anything that was ever connected to the industry Mm -hmm. at all, that was going to be thrown away, which is why there was such a, I had a hard time. I didn't leave sooner because of that, Mm -hmm. because 
Well, that's a massive sacrifice for Everything. your life. I mean, yes. that's your, that that's your career, your life. Everything. Yes. The form it, and the goals and everything is just all of it. Compromised. And I have not found, you know, I've, I've worked at a couple of places and done some things, but I haven't found that same level of, um, the, you know, the purpose, like what gets you out of bed every day or, yeah. you know, the chills that I would get in class sometimes when like mm. things were working and, you know, minds were being opened. I've never been able to experience that doing anything else ever right. since. Well, Not and this, the, this you know. brings something I wanted, I, I, and I just, I'm kind of keeping half an eye on the chat and, and yes. someone here just said, uh, Patty P said the APA, she brings that up. And I, this is something that like, when I was studying um, ethics in my graduate program, we, we were looking at the ACA, the American Counseling yes. Association, and I'm reading this and there's, there, this wokeness is in there. I mean, to use that word, I, you know, yes. that's, that's kind of a throwaway word right now, but this ideology is, is creeping into these, these ethics um, materials. And we yes. see it with the toxic masculinity statements of the APA yes. and uh, the KCREP, which is the organization that accredits counseling, counseling programs. Um, they also have cultural competency, which is a code word for this yes. specific stuff. So what, what I'm wondering is what's your, what is your perception of the whole licensed mental health profession? And do you see a way forward, uh, under sort of a parallel profession, like, a like what I've been doing is coaching. I would love to see more solid evidence-based, uh, education in the coaching sphere, taking things out of this mainstream accreditation process and offering really good skills to mm -hmm. sort of a parallel profession so mm -hmm. that we can get, and that's kind of something that my mind has been kicking around. Like someone like you with your skills in teaching, if you were to teach some kind of a class for coaches, I, I, yes. I don't know. You yes. know, do you see where I'm going? Yes. With this? I think that's a, I think that's definitely a good that's a good option for a path forward because I don't think you can undo. It's sort of like the putting the genie back in the bottle. Right. It's, it's too pervasive to where even some of the textbooks, the textbooks that were written even by the original, you know, kind of founders of psychology over the years, the big names, their, their textbooks alone have taken the concepts that were in there. And now they've, they've, they've added this diversity component, mm -hmm. right? So they've taken even sort of source material and then reworked it to add in, you know, the new updated book is the one that says culturally competent family mm -hmm. therapy or, or whatever, right. you know, culturally, all of that. And so I think you're right that it has to be a parallel kind of profession situation where you're, you're able to, because I think it's too, I don't know how you undo where we are now. So the path forward, I think is a parallel type of program be it coaching, be it something else. And probably, um, it, you know, you're going to probably see more effects much more quickly in the coaching route anyway. There's a lot of accountability involved in mm -hmm. coaching. There's a lot of, okay, yes, you know, this, your path has sort of shaped this. Let's move forward. And there's more of a direct moving mm -hmm. forward. And in general, probably is going to turn out some results that are going to be probably more effective much more quickly, I think. 
um, because I, I think the, 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 the essence of psychotherapy has been too captured. And mm-hmm. I've spoken about this to, you know, multiple groups in CTA and a whole bunch of groups are doing some really wonderful things with this. And I, I hope they can turn it around in the UK, you know, for example, but I don't know about here. I haven't had any sense of, 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 of way of understanding or thinking about this that can turn it around. And that's not just mm-hmm. from me, it's from mm-hmm. friends and colleagues who are still in the industry, what they're doing, how they see the world, you know, they've also changed. They've their 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 kind of perception has also changed and been captured. So what's what's the answer? The answer is to create something else or to take something else that's there, like coaching, and redesign it or develop it or in some way, you know, you know, create a bigger, you know, mm-hmm. a course or path or whatever, you know, whatever comes out of that may be the only way to do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Because you can't eradicate that will not ever be done in our lifetime. In my opinion, I don't do not believe this will ever be eradicated out of psychology programs in my lifetime. I do not think, I think that's going to take a lot of time. It took a lot of time to get here. It's going to take a lot of time to undo. So I think so that's where you are with it right now in terms of the licensed profession as it stands right now, it's a train we can't turn around. As it stands now, from my perspective, it is a train we can't turn around because the, the depth of it, the, it's not even just in psychology courses. You have people coming from different fields that, that, and that's what I had a lot of Antioch, right? Was I had a second and third career change students. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have people that also have already been doing something else for a long time, or they've gone to undergraduate school in one area. And this and that. that's captured as well. And that's mm-hmm. been captured as well. So what you're getting in general, just people being drawn in are bringing with them their indoctrination. Mm-hmm. They're bringing with them all of these other ways of thinking that they've developed in other programs, taking other kinds of courses that have nothing to do with psychology at all. And mm-hmm. so they're shaping where we're going. They're mm-hmm. the ones who are kind of calling calling the shots in the next turn. So mm-hmm. I personally don't think there's a way out. I think there's a way that is different. It's It's a path that's going to be unlike what we've traditionally done. And it's mm-hmm. going to have to kind of be founded on principles that kind of negate all this, that, that rest and lie within the, what, how, how am I accountable for what I can do going forward? It is not okay that this happened to me, but I will not allow it to define my life. Mm-hmm. And how do I then use that to go forward mm-hmm. rather than use that to fight? And when you start using the words like fight, mm-hmm. which is in every, you know, Every kind of document, I mean, any any kind of written communication by the school or or whatever, the word mm-hmm. fight, Absolutely. advocate, mm-hmm. okay, or ad, ad, activism mm-hmm. turns into fight, whatever, all the, those kinds of words do not belong in this field. And the fact is, they're so embedded in the field, I don't think it, there's a way out. People are now going mm-hmm. to psychology programs because they want to fight for people's rights. That was yeah. the right answer on the admissions interview. Yeah. If you look at the Antioch website, they've added now under admissions, you can either, you know, write an essay about there was one choice. I think the other choice is what is social justice and how have I been a social justice, you know, proponent or or whatever? How have I been? And I'm just going to say the word warrior. I don't think they use Mm -hmm. that word, Mm -hmm. but how have I, you know, used that to move forward? Those are going to be the students that get in. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be the students that are going to be your next crop of therapists are going to be the ones who are wanting to be a warrior for rights. I want to save people. I want to help people and I want to fight. Yeah. So in and of itself, the aggressiveness of Mm -hmm. that. It's, it's very, it it really stood out to me as being 
just antithetical to what my concept mm -hmm. of, of what you're doing with someone Absolutely. in counseling is. And we were told that as well, that our main job, our first and foremost role as a counselor was an activist and an advocate for social yes. change. And I thought, yes, what in the world? What yes. in the world is that? That is that does not sound like counseling to me at all. It isn't. It isn't. And, you know, it was interesting because when when we started with cultural competency, mm -hmm. that was a beautiful idea. It mm -hmm. was, I mean, I, you know, I was an intern, I think when I first heard that, and then it was sort of, I remember telling my coworkers, what does that mean? How can we be competent on a culture? I think this is just, see, I, I didn't really understand what they were getting at. I thought it was stupid. It didn't make any sense. It just didn't um, make any sense. I, I don't know. But the way it was sort of, I guess, described was, you know, being open to other people's ways mm -hmm. of thinking and that not everybody thinks like you, et cetera, mm -hmm. and that you're going to have people from all walks of life. So we took this kind of great idea, which was learning to ask, to learn more about people and not make assumptions. They took it and then it's been weaponized, you know, in some fashion, it's been hijacked. I think mm -hmm. the word I used to, to, to kind of be the backbone, to be the foundation of a completely different kind of movement, a completely mm -hmm. different kind of political activism. They've sort mm -hmm. of taken that as the foundation. It sounds really good. The ideas were good and they took that as as a platform mm -hmm. to launch all of these different movements that have taken us away from actually caring about humanity and not making assumptions doing the exact very 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 opposite yeah. the exact very same thing the antithesis as you said yeah of what our profession is supposed to be so it's a gross oversimplification as well yeah 100 mm -hmm. you know and so as I was leaving, you know, I, I spent some time, you know, thinking about, well, what am I going to do? I found a couple of organizations and, um, you know, that wanted to, to kind of reshape how they did diversity training. That was really what a fair, what I started doing at fair was kind of the diversity training, uh, how to reshape how they thought about di diversity, equity, and inclusion, DE&I, -E mm -hmm. in the corporate world, because it's everywhere, you know, in every industry now and they were trying to reshape how they presented it and um how, you know let's if you if you have to take this diversity course kind of thing how can we you know teach this in a way that is actually meaningful and leads with pro-human and that's kind of mm -hmm. what fair is based mm -hmm. kind of their 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 core principle is you know humanity fairness you know and i forgot mm -hmm. the third one but it's basically leading from a, hum a shared humanity mm -hmm. and fairness point of view and that's kind of what and so that's what we were doing it's important work. I will never get from it probably what I did from being a professor uh, because it just, you know, that was just that, that's how I identified myself. So if I'm going to be, you know, frank and, and honest, mm -hmm. my identity was wrapped around what I did for work. It was wrapped mm -hmm. around being a professor. So it wasn't just that I quit. It's that I left what I Mm -hmm. found to be like my life mission, my path, yeah. what made me Christine Stephen. I never had mm -hmm. children. I mean, I have a great partner, but you know, I didn't have, you know, I didn't go those other directions. Like this mm -hmm. shaped a lot. And that was a big learning lesson for me. It's how I'm going to shape my identity around like a profession. Like this mm -hmm. is what happens when you do that. You know, it's I had a massive really sacrifice hard, that you made. Huge, huge. And I never really found kind of my sea legs you know, mm -hmm. after that, that's what I was most proud of, you know, of mm -hmm. doing. And, you know, so I, 
but I don't, I don't see another, I don't, I don't see another, uh, another way. And so I, I just, I, I just, you know, I, to me, the loss was um, immeasurable. And, and in some ways, I think when people speak out and lose their jobs over to get a little bit dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess, it, you know, and, and again, and it, it's all about what matters, you know, to you, what, where you create your sense of meaning. But for me, that was a massive sacrifice. It was a big, mm-hmm. big deal for me to do that personally, mm-hmm. because yeah. of everything I had tied into it, but I just couldn't stand and I didn't want to become resentful. And I was starting mm-hmm. to become resentful of the students mm-hmm. and resentful of the school and resentful of the field. And that to me was also, um, I, I wanted to leave while I still had some respect left for mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. And I will be honest that I don't, that I, I, I don't know where I'm going to go with mm-hmm. all of this. It's, it's been, you know, a couple of years, I've done some things with fair and and then I went on medical leave again for my, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of health issues I've had. But other than that, it's like I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like going yeah. forward. It was yeah. not, it was not an easy thing for me to do because it meant giving up not the school, not the profession. It meant giving up, I mean, the entire field in general in any capacity, even as a clinical supervisor. Yeah. Now on those you know, on those evaluations, you have to write whether or not, you know, the, the, those trainees that you're supervising, the interns you're supervising, are they mm-hmm. practicing social justice, you know, principles in their work? So no matter yeah. what, it's just this constant. It's a part of all of it. Yes. And you have like, I mean, this is just like you said, it, you, this was your identity. This was your, your calling yes. and your joy in life. And yes. you, your convictions and your moral where you were your moral compass was more important to you even than that and so you have it it's incredible the how it's funny we're like in the 90s we talked about peer pressure at like it was this bad thing there were yes like PSAs and and, you know don't do drugs just say no kids of the 90s know we heard about about peer pressure constantly But now it's, it's like these organizations, your schools are exerting peer pressure on you as hard as they possibly can. And everything is about, you know, there's no acknowledgement that this is a, a potent force. And, and because of how potent this social force is, the, the incredible fortitude it takes to be able to, to cut through that and say, no, this isn't right. Yes. I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going along with that. I don't care that it takes my career. Yes. I'm not going along with it. I mean, I, I have to commend you for that. It's incredible that, that you've been able to do what you've done. You had a career that a lot of people would die for. I mean, it was a fantastic. Yeah, it was. You and you, um, you stuck to your principles in spite of I, that. And I think that's so noble and so impressive. So thank, thank you, you for doing that. Yes. No, thank you. I mean, that, that means a lot to just kind of have that be recognized. And I think uh, the only thing I could think of afterwards was just when I had any opportunity to, to speak out. I mean, you know, I've spoken at school boards and stuff, even without kids about some of this stuff. And I think that's what I kind of have tried to do is say, okay, well, you know, what can I do, um, to actively, if I, if there's an, an, a way, a platform to actively, you know, speak out or to actively, you know, to, 
open people's eyes, then I guess that's my next mission. It's not nearly as gratifying as what I was doing, but it's the well, next. Hopefully it's early days and maybe, well, it, maybe it can turn into something that'll be as gratifying. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I really do. I, you know, and, and it, I, I'm sure it will. I mean, I love these conversations. I love talking about this on podcasts. I've been mm -hmm. on a few before. Mm -hmm. That's been amazing. I thought about starting one myself. I haven't really gotten there, but that's been incredible. And that I think has helped me say, okay, well, this is now my next, mm -hmm. you know, mission, but I haven't laid oh, fully flesh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, too, it's not that anybody in the school came into the classroom or, or, you know, said anything to me officially, but, but, you know, I, we talked about it a little bit last week, but, you know, but the emails that were coming into the faculty, mm -hmm. like the, the, the people that were the, the full-time faculty who kind of had the insider's look, you know, into what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, that's just what was coming next. And then when I heard about what you, they were having the students sign, mm -hmm. that's not something that was happening even that in 2021 was, when I left. Yeah, that was that's new. It, new. Started, it started in, I think, 2021. So I missed anyway. it. Yeah. Right. I left the, the after the first quarter of that year. So that's, yeah. you know. And that's not even in every class, I think. So it, yeah, you know, we're seeing it creep in, but yep, yep, um, yeah, so much change, and and I, yeah, again, this we I I know we have to wrap up, but it's been this conversation just flew by, and I would yeah, love to do. maybe we can do this again, uh, yes, and, and I keep, love to. keep the dialogue because it's absolutely really important, especially if people have questions and things you know, that yeah. they want to talk about or topics or something to kind of jump in. Um, you know, I wanted you know, to happy. pay more attention to the chat today and I feel yes. like we kind of flew by and I, 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 um, I wish I could go through, but I know we have kind of a hard out here. Uh, one thing I did see, and I just have to, have yes. to shout out to this is um, Oceana 23 quotes, one of my favorite poems here. Um, it's uh, the second coming by William Butler Yeats. And the quote here, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Ah, and wow. that, that is something I, 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 I would, love that. I would urge everybody to go out and read that poem. I'd almost recite it here if I, if <laughs> I could remember the whole thing. But, right. <laughs> um, uh, it's a good, a good one to revisit right now. Because Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it's become, I think, right now in, in the world. It's this sort of this, this that, and people calling the spiritual battle. Maybe it is, but it's, 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 it is coming down to, I think, us being forced to make a choice mm -hmm. as to what matters more to us. We're really having to choose. I mean, there's no in-between. There's no gray. There's no all to stay out of the conversation. It's we're past that. Now it's, we have to make a choice on what we believe in and what we want to align with and what we don't in so many areas. And that's, I think also, you know, I don't think I've experienced that in my lifetime living in the United States, you know, being born here, that that's ever really been where I've, I've had to actually, and seen that we have to do that as, as communities. Now we have yeah. to actually take a stand, yeah. you know, so it's, um, it's all, you know, remains to be seen where we end up, but I do believe good will come out of talking about it and speaking out about it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know what will, what will happen in the future. Maybe more change will happen than what I'm foreseeing, but I think well, this is where it starts. I think that the more we can have these kind of conversations, I think that there is something, um, there is something noble in being able to 
stand by your principles and your convictions. And I think that people recognize that and, and want to strive towards that. I think that's always been a core um, value that, that has been uh, seen as admirable. And we need, maybe through these conversations, more people who are sitting on the fence yes. will yes. feel emboldened to go ahead and yes. take that step and, and say, I, I do have things that I could lose by, by doing this, but I will gain something also. Yes. And it's that, yes. that sense of alignment with your, with your own values and with your own goals. And it's worth Absolutely. quite a lot to yes. be able to do that. It is. And I thank you so much, Leslie, for inviting me and for also speaking out. And I'm so, I, I think it was so serendipitous and, and just totally meant to be the star of the line that we were able to connect, um, especially from both, you know, both being from the school, that same mm -hmm. school. And, and so it's to me just been such an honor and yeah. thank you for wanting to hear my story and what happened with me. I guess. I, yeah. I, I really do uh, feel very uh, honored and, and humbled by that. So you're doing such amazing work and so many people are, are contacting me about you. So you're getting out there and that's awesome. pretty amazing. Well, I'm glad if, you know, if any of these conversations can help other people, I think that's, yeah, absolutely. That's where it's at. And thank you. Absolutely. And I hope we do this again soon. We will. Sounds okay. good. Okay. okay.